Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast, where we highlight leaders from across rural America, sharing stories of inspiration, tools to equip, and momentum to act in your local community. Today, we wrap up our Rural Connectivity Series, and Richard, I'm really excited because uh, this series allowed us to get you know fiber to the premise at your house. So how is it? It, it did, Dana. Um, no, it's pretty exciting. We, you know, we've actually been in this process for quite some time. And, you know, I guess as a reminder to our listeners, you and I first worked together in Washington. You were you were at Rural Development. Um, you know, I was over at Farm Service Agency. Then we got to work together and and absolutely had a lot of great experiences. Now, the program wasn't FSAs, but the, the ReConnect program you know, we were able to go out and actually give some oversized checks to some um, to some entities to really kickstart some of their efforts. And and one of them that I got to deliver was to my my local phone cooperative. And I know we had a guest on a couple of episodes ago that talked about that. And and because of that, not be, not because of that, but because we were able to give uh, some money from the reconnect program. Um, yeah, I've got fiber right here at my house. And so it's great. You know, it really helps with just everything that we try to do, um, whether it's on the farm uh, or other things that uh, the ability to have that upload and download speeds and capacity is is amazing. Right. And I know we're going to talk to somebody who literally is a, is an amazing expert about that here in just a minute. That's right. And that's wonderful news. I'm glad that you and your family and the farm will be able to take advantage of that infrastructure and, and the connections um, that can happen. You know, I think harvest time is an interesting time to think about connectivity on America's farms and ranches. And, and I know you're harvesting there. My brothers just got done with soybean harvest in uh, north central Kansas here where we're located and and we'll be finishing up a little wheat drilling and then heading on into corn harvest but you know the the data and the um, all of the information that the equipment is recording um, there in the field it's really important to their operation and to their profitability to be able to maximize that information um, throughout their their decision-making process this winter. And so I'm sure you're also looking at those, those potential um, for your farm as well. You know, we are, and that's, I mean, that's a great point, Dana, because um, where, uh, you know, technology in our in our equipment probably had well hadn't probably it had outpaced our capacity to be able to utilize that at the highest degree and and you know data is just as good as what you can do with it or how you can access it or how you can share it um, and so yeah absolutely we're excited about the opportunity to to engage a bit more um, with our data. Uh, with some of our input suppliers and others, just the ability to share that and have, you know, have folks help us analyze it. And, and it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's really, it's really a lot of fun to watch this planning, you know, kind of come to fruition, right? Like, so I know we've been talking about it here 
in my community. Randy's very well aware of it. Um, whoops, I almost introduced our guest without introducing our guest, but um, very well aware of um, very well aware of what um, you know what what what's possible when we do have rural connectivity. That's right. And I'm sure we're, we'll look forward to talking more about what's possible with rural connectivity when we come back um, with our guest. When I was in foster care, I never knew when I would have to move. So I always had my suitcase ready to go. Then one day I was adopted. My new parents opened their hearts and home to me. My parents cooked my favorite breakfast for me every morning. My parents take me on trips I never thought I would go on. They gave me a home and an even better reason to use that suitcase. My parents aren't perfect, but they're perfect for me. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast and uh, our final episode in our Rural Connectivity Series. And we have an opportunity to have a guest, Dana, on today. Um, it's kind of neat for me because um, our next guest is Randy Clint. And Randy um, really was one of the first people, at least in, in our part of the world, that really started thinking about what, what, the, what would it look like um, for a rural electric cooperative to really engage in in rural connectivity, whether that was fiber or some other um, uh, some other mode of of delivering data and and connectivity, and so um, so Randy Clint's our guest um, again on our last episode of of the series. And if, again, another reason it's neat is that Randy uh, literally grew up down the road from me, um, grew up on a farm, um, you know, just right outside of Bethany and, and really had an interest and a passion um, for, you know, these types of, of technologies. And, and again, was an early pioneer uh, in understanding how to navigate that space, whether that's understanding what the capacities were, understanding where you could maybe get some funding um, and then also providing, I think, and I'm, I don't want to steal all of Randy's thunder, but also providing a lot of important feedback back to other entities and, and, and folks. So um, Randy is the founding partner in uh, Connexon. Um, uh, right, Randy? Is, did I say that right? Did I pronounce that right? Okay. Um, and so anyway, I, I think what would be kind of neat for, uh, for our listeners and our viewers, Randy, maybe is to talk just a little bit about your journey from like where you started um, and then kind of where you are today, how you got there and, and maybe some things that you learned real quick along the way. Okay. Well, great. I think, uh, you know, as you know, I, I, I grew up down the road from you and grew up on a farm you know, both row crop and uh, purebred cattle. And in the early 90s, I started writing software for tracking those purebred cattle and made a business out of it uh, and, you know, introduced some new technologies into 
that industry through things like electronic registration of cattle. You know, and I, you know, I remember my parents sitting down at the table and filling out duplicate and triplicate forms and uh, mailing that information into the cattle association and waiting two to three weeks for their registration certificates. And um, so when I developed the software, part of the thing, one of the things I developed was internet transfer of those software records. So you have a computer on the farm and, and you input that information that you could use for your own internal purposes on your ranch and hit a key and submit that information to the association. The next couple of days, you got your paperwork back. Um, <clears throat> what I started to realize is it's really hard you know, to run that software business and to test that platform when you didn't have internet access. And this would have been late, late nineties. And, you know, I can, I started to work through the, the company that's providing you your fiber to the home today. You're trying to get better access on the ranch and on the farm so that I can make my business function. And, you know, I became frustrated. I mean, this was the late nineties. Um, they were deploying some DSL in town. Um, you know, I thought, you know, co-op, you know, we're all members that, you know, we should all get equal access and you're using members equity and all those things a lot like electric co-ops do. And about that time I met the CEO of the electric co-op, some uh, economic development meeting. And we started talking and brainstorming about what we could do to improve broadband access in the region. And um, I joined them and that had been late 99. So that started my 20 plus year tenure at three different electric co-ops. And we deployed a fixed wireless broadband system there over a period of years. But what became really evident to me is the usage of the internet from people in rural areas was fast outpacing the technology. Um, you know, as I monitored that network, as it grew and people began to use it and use it for more functions that the, the technology just wasn't going to work. So at that time, mid 2000s, I started uh, researching fiber optics, fiber to the home. Um, the co-op I was at at the time only had about two electric meters per linear mile of line. Uh, it's very hard to deploy a fiber to the home network when you only have one or two paying customers per mile. And uh, <clears throat> I realized at the time, you know, it would not work without some, some kind of funding. Uh, at that time, I got an opportunity to move on to an electric co-op in central Missouri called Como Electric. Uh, they were a little different, and they had eight members per linear mile of line. Um, so, you know, it's quite four times better. Um, when I started looking at the fiber, I thought maybe that might work. And when I got there, uh, we did some initial surveys and studies and determined um, that the membership of that co-op had been left behind also only about 20 percent of the members at the time had access to broadband this would have been 2008 2009 time frame um, and usda at the time i think had published a study that about 40 percent of rural americans had access to broadband so we knew we were behind we applied for some federal funding through the stimulus grant program back in 2010 and you know what was interesting about that is we had to get our membership engaged in that process because part of the process of applying for that grant, which was 60 plus million dollars was community engagement. So we reached out to the members of the co-op and um, 
And as far as I know, they still have the box of letters that we received where we heard all the stories of not being able to access the internet, what that meant for them from education, agriculture, uh, you know, you name it. We, we got every story that you can imagine. Uh, so we were really disappointed when we didn't receive the grant. Um, so, and our members were disappointed. We had 32,000 members. We had a 4,000 mile electrical system that we would need to build. And the board tasked me at that time to find a way to do it without government money. And um, so with no grants, no subsidies, I developed a model and approached them on doing a pilot project, about a hundred mile test project. And they said, if you can get 25% of the members to take service, that we'll let you build that hundred miles and we'll test this out. Uh, Long story short, we announced that and uh, as many of your um, listeners might know, if they're involved in electric co-op, back in the 1930s when they were formed, it became grassroots. Members of the co-ops went, you know, the, when they're tr- forming the co-op, went door to door. There was a $5 membership fee for most co-ops. And, you know, after the great, you know, $5 was a lot of money. And so they had some people paying their neighbors $5 fee so they could get access to electric. And we had the same thing happen. We had uh, members of the co-ops going door to door, paying their neighbors $100 deposit. And we had uh, two community banks that paid the $100 deposit for every one of their banking customers. Uh, so it was an exciting time. And uh, we well surpassed that 25% threshold. Our uh, board voted to go ahead and build the pilot. We built the pilot. This would have been 2011. And uh, it was so successful, they immediately voted to build all 4,000 miles of their electric plant with fiber to the home. Hmm. So 2012, 2013 rolls along. We did the first phase. and so successful. They vote to complete the second phase. We launched gigabit service. So the first rural gigabit service in America Um, and Google had just announced their gigabit service in Kansas city, not six months prior. Um, It was anyway, the long story short, that project about halfway through the board just said, finish it. You know, there's, there's no reason to keep coming back to us every year, getting approval for the next year, Uh, just finish a project. So Como became the first electric co-op in the country to deploy fiber to the home to 100% of their members. They did it within four years and um, did it without any government subsidies or grants, borrowed all the money to do it. We became profitable in our fifth year, two years ahead of schedule. And um, that story then now has launched where we are at today. I went on to another co-op in Arkansas that was twice that big, did the same thing. Uh, along the way, I launched Connexon, our, our company that helps electric cooperatives do the same thing, repeat that over and over again. I uh, launched the company in 2015. Uh, we now have 75 fiber construction projects across the nation for electric co-ops, 650 employees building 1,000 miles of fiber a week all across rural America. Um, so it's been a great success story. Um, we have recently launched our own ISP called Connects on Connect, uh, where we're partnering with co-ops that don't necessarily want to be in the telecommunication business. 
and um, have reached over 10,000 subscribers in Georgia and Missouri and Colorado. And uh, it's just been a, it's been a great thing. And it's the feedback we get from the rural people that get this service for the first time, as you know, Richard, uh, when you, you first get lit up with fiber, it's night and day different from anything you've had in the past and all your things you used to have to think about, you know, can I, can I do that work with Netflix on and the kids doing homework and, um, all that's gone. It's just like the electric system. You walk in the house and you turn on any switch, you turn on any appliance, any device, you never have to worry about it working. And with fiber to the home gigabit services, you know, you walk in the house and you can use anything you want, any application, any device, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, I'm biased. I say go to your electric co-op. Hey, there's 840 electric distribution co-ops in the country. Uh, they already have some infrastructure. They have poles. They have way, you know, underground facilities. They've got bucket trucks. They've got an office. They've got a billing system. Uh, and they do things differently. You know, I uh, like to think of myself as a little bit of a disruptor. I did things differently than the incumbents did it. And then that was what was an, enabled me to do what I did, which is build fiber to the home to eight people per mile without any government money. Now, you know, we're at a, we're at a great time here um, with funding opportunities. Um, we are, we're coming off the heels of uh, two FCC programs, the Connect America Fund and the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. Um, and we're, we moved into funding that came from uh, the COVID crisis through ARPA. And a lot of states and counties have set up funding opportunities for ISPs, various ISPs. It could be incumbents, it could be electric cooperatives to take advantage of funding um, uh, to build these networks and provide service. And with the BEAD program now that's coming out with $42.5 billion in funding, that will be administered through states and possibly even counties. Um, there's a ton of opportunity out there to reach the most sparse areas of the country with fiber to the home, world-class service that there was never before. You know, I mentioned we did those projects without federal funding prior, but we've got a lot of federal funding since. So uh, we let a consortium of 96 electric co-ops through the FCC's Rural Digital Opportunity Fund and won $1.1 billion in funding, half of which went to our subsidiary, uh, Connects on Connect, who's doing 35 projects in 10 states as well. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to what's coming down the pipe in the next uh, year or two. And I would encourage you know, rural leaders to engage their state broadband offices. Um, the way the program is set up, money comes down, uh, money is administered through NTIA. Um, provision to the states. The states can set up their own rules. And those a lot of those rules are being um, set up now. And uh, it's a good time to get involved and you know, make sure your voice is heard at your state government level uh, because you really win these things when the rules are written, um, you know, not when the, when the application process comes up. You know. So uh, we're really excited about what's coming down the road for rural America, and our goal is to build um, a million miles of fiber to rural America in the next few years, and we'll be actively participating in that funding to try to get there. 
That's amazing. And, and I think Dana and I both um, smiled just a little bit when you said that the, whatever you said about the, the rubber meets the road when the regulations or the rules are written. Um, you know, we have some experience in that, uh, in that, in that space. And, and, you know, I, and I just a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a diversion here, you know, when we talk about farm policy and a farm bill, you know, I said, it's absolutely critical that you advocate, you know, on the front end and the, and the writing of the farm bill, but really when you need to be talking to folks are the folks in the executive branch that are writing the rules and writing the regs of the interpretation of the law. So um, I think that is, I think that's really a powerful message, Randy. And, and I'm just, so I'm, I'm super fortunate. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm, I've got fiber to the home and it is a great, great thing. But if, you know, if we, I know we have people that'll be listening and watching this podcast that maybe don't have a relationship with a rural electric cooperative or, you know, a local phone cooperative and they're just, they're desperate, right? Like they're, they yeah, want it. Yeah. So, so can, is there, and, and, you know, say no, if it's, if this isn't an option, but can people contact Connexon and get questions answered that way? Do you guys have a way of just communicating with the general, like general rural public or, or do they need to do something different? So, you know, absent an electric cooperative, I mean, it, as you know, most most rural residents in the United States are served by electric cooperatives. Um, you know, they serve a vast majority of of rural America, including you know two thirds of the geographic area of the United States. Uh, if you but you, if you don't happen to be served by an electric co-op or have one nearby, you know one thing you know electric co-ops can be intermingled with investor-owned utilities and be in the same county. Uh, they may be nearby. Maybe you're not a member, but there may be one a few miles away you know, from you that may be exploring making service available in your county. You know, every every co-op we've worked expanded outside of their membership territory to serve some of those investor-owned utility pockets or municipal, um, even towns and cities. Um, we have started working with counties, counties and parishes across the country with the funding opportunities. We, uh, uh, we had a, you know, a big, uh, a big story going on in the last few months of um, some state money we applied for on behalf of our subsidiary in the poorest parish in the state of Louisiana, uh, East Carroll Parish. Uh, we were awarded money. The governor announced the money, and then they allowed the big incumbent cable company to come in and challenge that and put that money on hold. And um, we just, uh, in the last week, uh, the state overturned their challenge and put the funding back on the table. But that was, that was a very poor, very poor, very rural part of Louisiana that uh, had struggled and we stepped in to help them. And we're going to go in and build it and build that county out uh, with the funding that we received. And that's going to be outside of our electric co-op projects that are nearby. So yeah, we will work with counties. Uh, that's something new for us. Uh, but the way the funding's worked in the Recently with ARPA is, you know, a lot of that money is coming down to the county level decision. So we're working with some counties now in Kentucky and Louisiana on making service available in rural areas where there is not an electric co-op. So, yes, they can reach out to our company and ask questions about their county and we can get them in touch. Uh, you know, we have uh, five to ten full time grant people on staff. Uh, so we have a pretty good grasp on all the state rules that are out there now. And you know can can help with that if um, if they want to reach out. 
Well, that's great. I know we're about out of time. Dana, do you have a last quick question or do we want to wrap this, uh, wrap this up with Randy? Well, I think Randy, if you were to put your finger on some of the characteristics of a community who's having success in, in getting this connections, um, would there be one or two characteristics of that community that you could kind of point to? Every, every community requires a champion. Every community requires somebody that's standing up that is, you know, tired of the treatment by the incumbents, uh, can't get service is pushing their County officials, pushing their electric cooperative board members, pushing the CEO of their electric cooperatives. And there's, there's always a voice, um, that people are listening to that, um, you know, has a true uh, passion for getting the service and getting somebody to step up and um, that they could you know, be a part in helping getting that service deployed in their, their community. So there's always a champion out there for every one of them. That is incredibly appropriate for the Rural Leaders podcast, I think, because um, <laughs> we're talking to rural leaders um, in, in rural America. So appreciate that so much. Randy, I know we're, we're out of time. Um, is there, is there a way folks can connect with you if they have questions? Um, or we can probably put something in the graphic, um, you know, here, uh, when we, when we produce the, this, this episode, but any, any, any final, any final comments or any, anything you want to share with the folks? No, I think if uh, they want to reach out, it's connexon.us. So, www.connexon.us. We also have Facebook and uh, we also, we, you know, we publish a lot of case studies on successes across the country. Uh, a lot of, a lot of information can be found on our website. You can also reach out through the website and get connected with you, know, our construction team, our grant writing team, uh, anybody that can, uh, you know, even get them in touch with their electric co-op. You know, we, we work with, we've worked with over 250 of the 840. So we have relationships with those. And if somebody reaches out, chances are we have a relationship with their nearby co-op that we can put them in touch with. So. Well, that is fantastic. And, you know, we've had great, we've had, uh, we've had great guests on in this series and uh, this being the last episode of the series. Um, really, really glad you were able to spend a little time with us and share, you know, your experiences. I know I knew a little bit, um, but obviously the last few years I'd kind of lost track of exactly what was going on. Um, so this has been really good to have you on and, and an opportunity to learn. So um, one, if I can make one last comment, one last comment, um, you know, as we travel the country and we visit with community leaders and we're in the room with incumbents and we're in the room with government leaders and politicians and um, sometimes people say that rural America doesn't need the broadband speed that people have in the cities. And I think it's the opposite. I think you're, you're disconnected when you're in rural America, you know, physically from uh, doctors and education. And I think rural America needs it more. And our numbers back that up because given the option, we, we do a hundred meg service, a one gig service and a two gig service. We have a third of our subscribers across the country are taking the two gig service for a hundred dollars when they could have a hundred meg service for 50. And that tells me that people in rural America have a need and desire for the fastest speed you can possibly provide. So, you know, don't, don't let people uh, undersell rural America. 
we, we believe 100% that rural America needs as much service or better service than, than uh, big cities do. Uh, we do we believe the same thing, and and I think all of our listeners and viewers do too. But really, really appreciate you saying that. That's 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 pretty valuable. Um, well, we're going to get out of here, Randy. Again, thanks so much uh, for being a guest um, on with us in this series. That's incredibly important to rural America, and the and the honestly the success of rural America. And and thanks for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you'll continue to do to help this effort. Um, so we're going to get out of here, um, but we'll be right back after these messages. Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen. Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad? Do stars visit their friends? Look! Thank you. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. And uh, again, kind of the ending of our of our series on rural connectivity. And, you know, Dana, I thought that um, I thought Randy really offered some insight that that was a little different than what we've had in our in our other uh, episodes, kind of a diff, I guess, looking at it from a different lens. Um, and I thought it was just really, really valuable information. Well, I thought so, too, Richard, and I really appreciated his kind of self-recognition of his role as a disruptor and how important that has been to kind of new players in the field of bringing connecti connectivity to rural America. You know, I, it takes everybody. There's so many miles uh, between homes and, and farms and businesses that we really have to have kind of everyone working on this challenge of, of getting connection. And, and I'm hopeful after our conversation that rural America will be connected within a short period of time. There has been a huge amount of investment of public dollars, but also as, as our series has indicated, a significant amount of money from private investment as well. And making sure that, that the, the assets the people, the ideas, the, the opinions of rural America are connected to the rest of the world is, is of utmost importance. You know, it really is. And I think, I mean, I think he said two or three things that I thought were, um, were important, right? Like, um, you know, you ask him right at the end, you know, what, what are some commonalities of these, uh, you know, of these communities that have been successful and you got to have a champion. Right. And, th and that's 
that's, I mean, certainly that's important for this, but it's important for a lot of other things too. A lot of other efforts need a champion. So that was good. I also thought um, what was interesting, and, I, and I'd forgotten that Randy had written this, um, this software program for purebred cattle registration, but that was when his eyes were opened. Like I've wrote, I've written this great program that cuts out a lot of steps and a lot of time for, for purebred cattle breeders but it can't go anywhere because I don't have access to the internet, right? So he saw firsthand why this is a problem. And it was obviously, you know, it's, it was two decades ago, um, but recognized that and has firsthand experience. And I'm sure um, not such great memories about that. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things that kind of drove Randy, you know, to get into this and really understand the technology and the process. But um but I, the other thing he said, and I hate to keep taking all these nuggets, Dana, but you did say it just a minute ago, is it looks like we are to the point now where we're going to get this thing done and get it funded. And companies like Connexon and people like Randy, you know, can be that catalyst to help fill in the gaps and help people understand what needs to be done, how to do it, how to manage it. Um, um, because, you know, I think you and I have said this before, there's not really like in, you know, policymakers and appropriators where some federal funds are coming from. It's not really the need anymore to, to convince people that it's necessary. It's just getting it across the finish line and getting it done. But I thought just, I mean, there were two or three or four really good points that Randy made um, that I don't know that I've heard. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard it exactly like that. So that was that was kind of interesting. Definitely, definitely filled with amendment with momentum to act. And so I'm hopeful that this series has inspired, has filled buckets of hope, and has given lots of momentum to champions around the country. Um, our next series, Richard, will be an interesting one as well. We're going to start uh, talking with rural leaders who are telling stories from rural America. And so we'll be across the country um, gathering those leaders and, and sharing what they're doing to really bring attention and, um, and bring those stories to life. So in the meantime, if you out there want to connect with us, feel free to send us an email at Dana at the rural leaders podcast.com or Richard at the rural leaders podcast.com. We look forward to seeing everyone next time. Mm -hmm.